Welcome to the Social Work Social Podcast. My name is Melanie Matthews, and I'm a registered social worker, as well as your host for this podcast. The Social Work Social is a place to explore the role of social workers in mental health treatment, social justice and advocacy, and other aspects of community work. But social workers rarely work in isolation, so we'll be talking not just to social workers, but other professionals and people with lived experience to learn about their understanding of mental health and mental health treatment. Before we begin today's episode, I have two disclaimers to make. First, you should be aware that all the information presented in this podcast is specific to Ontario, Canada, unless otherwise specified in the episode. Different professionals follow different rules and restrictions dictated by the regulatory body in their area. The second disclaimer is that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice or mental health treatment. Your mental health is unique, so what we talk about in this episode may not be quite right for supporting your mental health in the best way possible. So if you're interested in any of the topics presented here and want to know more about if the treatment options are right for you, be sure to get in contact with a professional directly. Now, let's get started on today's episode. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll know that I was recently involved in writing in a collaborative book called The Great Canadian Woman, She is Strong and Free, Volume 3. The book features 14 stories from 14 powerful women, all with diverse experiences, who decided to be vulnerable and share their stories with the world. I am incredibly fortunate that some of those women agreed to share their mental health journey and writing experience in interviews with me. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Tanya. You may recognize her from Season 2, Episode 23, where she spoke to us about her job as an administrative booking clerk for the COVID-19 vaccine unit. This time, she'll be talking to us about another important area in her life, which is becoming a published author. Tanya goes in-depth about her mental health experience and how it felt to write her story. There's a trigger warning for discussions of cancer, blood disorders and bleeding, and grief for this episode. Well, thank you for inviting me. My name is Tanya Belcastro. I am an author, a co-author actually, in the up and coming series, She is Strong and Free, Volume 3. I have written a chapter and it's called Mama, I Finally Know. I want to say thank you for welcoming me here today to, to speak with you and interview with you. I come from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and we've interviewed before and have a, a previous podcast so anyone can go back and listen to us. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm so glad to, to have you back today, Tanya. So let's get into it then. I read your chapter. I think it's amazing. I'm so, so happy that you're here to share your experience. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what your chapter was about. So my chapter, my, my children and I were both diagnosed with um, a rare blood disorder. I was started bleeding when I was nine years old, um, which was, was quite hard for me because I wasn't diagnosed until my children were um, diagnosed. My son actually started bleeding. Um, I brought him to the hospital and um, it kind of all started from there and, and, and kind of unraveled. And then through our journey together, I ended up getting diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And it was one of my toughest um, bleeding episodes and I had to kind of rediscover myself in the process as well, uh, being a parent and looking back and trying to cope with my mental health and theirs at the same time. I was, I was quite scared trying to think about how I was going to tell my children that I was diagnosed at the same time. My mom passed away of cancer. Just in my head, it was a game of survival. 
uh, my body was trying to survive at the same time. So I wrote about all of that and how I kind of came to the other side. Basically, it's, it's, it's all about that. <laughs> Blood disorders are kind of terrifying because it's something that's in your body, right? And blood's pretty mm-hmm. essential to life. And to find out that you have a disorder in your blood, that's really difficult. I can really empathize with that because my grandmother actually had rare blood disorder as well. I can never remember the name of it. It's super long. My mother knows she keeps track of all the medical records, um, which is wonderful for doing that because I cannot remember the name of it, but it caused seizures. And that's, that's terrifying, right? Because seizures are terrifying. Blood disorders are terrifying. And then when I started having seizures, when I was 24, my immediate thought was, oh no, I have this disorder as well. What does this mean for me? Then it turned out that that was not the case, but it was very terrifying in the moment to think that that's something that might be happening to me. So I can see why that would be very scary. And then to add cancer on top of that, what did that do for your mental health? Well, you kind of go into a bubble. I, my voice was taken away from me. So I had a lot of time to think you kind of surround yourself with people who understand you the most. You have a lot of time to research. I was undiagnosed for so long with not only the blood disorder, I traveled um, to to Vancouver to learn about mental health for my children, to learn about their bleeding disorders, how to cope, how to survive. And so that kind of geared me up a little bit to kind of how to deal with my own, which was good. But I was undiagnosed for so long, even with the thyroid condition. While I was, you know, trying to help them, I that's when I slowly kind of fell apart with mine. Um, the cancer itself, I wasn't scared of the cancer. My mom passed away with cancer. So I kind of, in a sense, felt like I knew something uh, eventually along the line was going to come for me. And I know it's a terrible thing to think of. She had pancreatic cancer. Mine was thyroid. It was different. But I researched as much as I could while I was silent. It helped me a lot. Sometimes when you can't speak, your other senses awaken and it, it, it just kind of prepares you when your voice comes back to be stronger, um, to know who you are, to know what you want. The bleeding part of it was a little bit hard. I bled a little bit, a lot, actually. I had two hematomas after I had the cancer. So my, my journey to recovery took a long time. My voice still comes and goes, uh, in the morning, I sound very deep. (laughs) I had some damage to my vocal cords. So that took almost a year to recover. If I get tired, I still don't sound like myself. Yeah. So it's, it, it plays a lot on your mental health because people will say, Oh, you don't sound like you or Um, even on a recording, you don't sound like you. I had to go to um, voice lessons to learn how to kind of talk again. And even hearing myself, I would say, oh, that doesn't sound like me. And they said, no, it it, it sounds like you, like that's you again. So, yeah. That is such a powerful thing to think of, to know that voice is really representative of who you are. Being Mm -hmm. able to hear yourself speak and be able to express yourself to others is a really essential part of us as people. And so to feel as though your voice isn't your own anymore, that sounds like a really, really huge impact on your identity. It was, and it still is today. Sometimes I'll hear myself when I say that name. 
And I clear my voice constantly. I clear my throat constantly. It affects the kind of job that you're looking for, uh, the kind of field that you're in. I, I still, it's hard to talk for eight hours straight. It's hard to eat certain foods still. Um, things get caught in your throat. The recovery after throat surgery is is really hard. After you you bleed, you can still bleed a little bit, like things get caught in your throat. And everybody's scared of somebody who has a blood disorder. It it it's it's almost like a cloud that weighs over your head. So I, I talk about bleeding in the chapter. I talk about about cancer, but honestly, the the blood disorder is something that it doesn't matter where I go. It's it's honestly it's the cloud that weighs over every appointment that I ever have. So it's it's a little bit difficult. My my one son has von Wildebrand's. My other son has P two Y twelve P two Y twelve, which is a very rare blood disorder. I travel to sick kids in Toronto from Calgary, Alberta, to get him diagnosed. And my card just says undefined blood disorder. It's um it's it's not something that you can't control it just means that we bleed a little bit longer it doesn't mean we bleed and it can't be stopped we get medication we I go pick up medication every time I have a procedure done I've me and my kids have all learned to administer our own medication it's a needle that we can give ourselves before a procedure or you know before we might need a blood transfusion a platelet transfusion so we've all learned how to control it ourselves and we educate people ourselves but it's something that that affects your mental health because you're always continually explaining it to other people where they think that if they run into you or like my kids for instance they didn't want to play with them when they were little because they thought that they would you know they would bleed to death or you know so it, it affected my mental health theirs I I treated them like normal kids but other kids didn't treat them like normal kids. so it was a little hard and so I was scared for them when I was sick you fight harder because you don't, you want to survive for them. Yeah. It sounds like they were really treated differently than other people kind of isolated Mm -hmm. from their peers. And also it sounds like you had to explain a lot of things to doctors too, to not even be understood by the healthcare professionals who are supposed to be taking care of you must be really difficult to constantly have to be advocating for yourself. Really realize after how little understanding there is. I found out after how they learn about blood really very little during their studies. And that's why we go to specialists. Every, every, every doctor specialized in their own field. So I learned as much as I could. I'm still learning. I sign up for everything that I can. When, when something new comes up from the hemophilia society, I'll sign up for it. When the new new studies come out, even when they came out for the vaccine programs, I signed up for it right away. I wanted to learn how we could get vaccinated. Um, and so when I actually applied for this new job for the vaccine rollout program, I went into this interview and I said, I actually learned all about it. I, I have a blood disorder and I just want you to know that, um, you know, in your, in your program, it said that, you know, anyone with a blood disorder could get vaccinated, but that's actually wrong. Cause I just took, um, I was in a study yesterday. And he, his eyes kind of opened up and and I was hired on the spot. (laughs) So, you know, we advocate for each other. We learn as much as we can. I mean, it doesn't even stop there. I learned as much as I can about thyroid. Once I had thyroid cancer, I learned as much as I can about endometriosis when I got that. 
whatever you have, the best thing that you could do is empower yourself with knowledge about whatever disease or disorder you can have. Kind of in line with the idea of spreading awareness and being able to learn more, you ended up writing an entire chapter on your experience with this. What motivated you to decide to do that? My mom died when I was 20 years old and I felt so lost after she passed away. And I spent six months in the hospital with her and I saw so much around me and I honestly didn't have a lot of help. And so I figured I didn't want anyone to ever go through what I went through. So once you kind of get to the other side, you just want to help as many people as you can. And I figured writing was the best way to reach as many people as I could People always come to me all the time and ask me for advice. Being a stylist, honestly, you listen to so many people and you give so many people advice. And they always said, Tanya, you should always write a chapter. You should always actually write a book. And I thought, oh God, a book is a lot of work, but a chapter I can do. Um, So I actually, I would start and stop all the time and start and stop. And I would uh, write myself, I, I call them little love notes. I would when I couldn't speak, I would journal, I would write myself notes. And then when I read the first series, The She is Strong and Free, volume one, I thought, oh my God, this is actually amazing. And uh, when one of the authors came to me and said, you should really, really write your story. And I thought, me? No, I, I, I can't. And then after my last surgery, I actually... I call it, uh, you, you rise like the Phoenix. I, I felt really strong and I thought it's time. It's time I actually put the pen to the paper and start writing. And so that's what led me to write my chapter. It was hard trying to pick one topic over the other when you've gone through so much in your life. But I wanted to write for my kids, first of all, because I think having a blood disorder is very misunderstood. And so I, I want people to understand that you can cope you can survive and so I started there and then having thyroid disease and not having a thyroid is really hard and so I thought maybe I'll write about that too and so those are the two main topics that I kind of wanted to to write about because I think women will resonate with it a little bit So sitting down and kind of going back in time, because it was about six years ago for the thyroid cancer, but it never, it never really stops because every day you take this tiny pill and it, it's a reminder every single day that I don't have it. So that's what made me decide to write about those two main topics because they're part of my life every single day. So I hope I can change one person's life out there or anyone who knows somebody who's struggling through any one of those diseases, I hope it changes their perspective and they understand what their friend or their family members are going through. And if they don't, I hope that they learn about it and will reach out and maybe be a little bit more kind to them. I think that's really incredible. I think that it's a really great mission to want to spread the awareness about something that's really misunderstood in order for people to understand and have more empathy for people who might be going through something really similar, either with a blood disorder or thyroid cancer, or really any other rare medical condition. And I think that even people who don't have experience with any of those things will still resonate with what you're talking about. Because even just now, 
like um, my my chapter is very much about my experience going through an abusive relationship and an opioid addiction. And opioid addictions in particular are very misunderstood. And it's kind of considered not a death sentence, but it's something that no one really has any faith that people can come out on the other side. It's assumed that if you have an opioid addiction, you're always going to have it because it's so addictive. And that's not necessarily true. And I really like the fact that I was able to write about something that's very misunderstood and hopefully help people have a bit more empathy for people who are going through that now. So even though our chapters are completely different, I think that there's some common ground in there and people are really going to resonate with the things that we've written about, even if they don't have any direct experience with that particular issue themselves. Absolutely. And I think taboo subjects are the ones that people will hopefully want to understand a little bit more and see that you can rise from any challenge that you go through. And I, I hope they see that you, you never stay in the place that you want, that you're in, I guess, is, is, is what I'm trying to get at. I absolutely loved your chapter. First of all, I want to say, I, I want to commend you for rising. And um, I think you're an absolutely amazing human being. <laughs> I was so drawn. I, I couldn't stop reading your chapter. I, I love your podcasts. I listen to them on the way to work. I think everyone should listen to them. And I hope women can really see that whatever you're going through, I hope you reach out and learn about, learn as much as you can. If you have a friend struggling through something, if you really love that person and you want to be in that person's life, Learn about what they're going through and don't just say things like, are you okay? Oh, that, that must really suck. Learn about what they're going through. If you want to offer help, then offer help. But when they're actually struggling, when they have things that they're struggling with every single day, some diseases, they, it's a disease that doesn't go away. If they need to rest today, let them rest. Not everybody is tied to their phones, tied to texting, tied to want to be on FaceTime, uh, want to be Zooming all the time. Some people just need rest when they need rest. I don't know how else to put it. You need to find the right support group, the right group of friends, the right doctor, the right everything around you when you're going through something. You need to educate yourself what's good for you. I don't know how else to put it, honestly. Uh, when I was going through everything I was going through, I just, I geared myself up as much as I could. And I tell my kids the same thing. Do what's right for you. Find a mentor if you can. That's the most important thing I could tell anybody. Look up to someone. Mentorship is so, so important. If you can find anyone that you can resonate with, anyone that you can look up to and that can guide you. It is the best thing that you will find in your life. Absolutely. I've had a few mentors throughout my life, and I feel like the experience and the support that I got from them is invaluable. It was an incredible, incredible thing to be able to have. And I hope that people are able to find that in their lives as well, because we all deserve some support when we're going through the things that we're going through. It's unreasonable to expect that any of us would be able to, you know, tough it out or just try to do it all mm -hmm. on your own. We all deserve some help. Absolutely. And mentors, it's, I mean, it, it might not, it might not be your family, right? Sometimes a mentor is 
a teacher, or it could be a support worker somewhere. It's someone who generally cares for you and wants the best for you. They will guide you in ways that nobody else thought of guiding you. And they're the ones that you're going to look back 20, 30 years, and you're, you're going to remember them the most. And sometimes they're the ones that we write about. You'll close your eyes and you'll think of them always. And I, and I hope, I always tell people, find someone that you can look up to. Find someone that, that you know is going to be there for you and that will, that will give you the best advice. It might not be the advice that you want to hear, but that was, that's what a mentor is there for. They're the ones to be there to give you the honest advice, right? Honestly, it can be about reading things too and hearing other people's stories and being able to relate to them, to be able to feel as though you're not alone, which is another big reason why we write this book and why we wanted to share our stories. I'm wondering what it was like for you as you were writing your chapter, what were you feeling when you were putting pen to paper, figuratively speaking? Most of us typed things out, I think. When I started writing, I actually, it was hard. I went back, I rewrote my chapter, actually. I think the first time I wrote it, when I read it, after I was writing a whole life story, and I read it back after, and honestly, I, I think I was writing my eulogy. I had gone through so many life experiences that it was hard to pick what I really wanted to write about. I advocate for so many things. I advocate for thyroid health and women's health and cancer health and anyone who's losing a loved one and wants to find resources that they need. And I think I had to really narrow it down and write about what I thought women would resonate most with. And cancer is just what people know mostly. And so I wrote about what I felt like maybe people wanted to hear more about. So that was a little bit hard for me. I, I got a little bit depressed. I'm not going to lie. I went into, I would lock myself into a room and just write and I would put music on because music heals me. But going back in time and stepping back into that place where I hid, I hid when I had cancer. I didn't let anybody into my world because when my mom died, it was so terribly hard. And so I didn't want anyone to see that part of me. And so writing about it, a lot of people didn't know that I was in that place. My kids didn't even know that I was in that place. So it was healing in a sense. I'm glad that I wrote about it, but it was tough. It, it was tough. I feel like I've heard that from a couple of people that they would, you know, lock themselves in a room or find some sort of private space in order to be able to really, really be able to explore in depth what they wanted to write about. And it was really kind of funny because I did the exact opposite. I wrote probably the majority of my chapter when I was at work because I was working at the time at a, a shelter for youth. And I, it was a 12 hour shift. And so we would get an hour long lunch break. And that's honestly when I did most of my writing is when I would sit down there in the lunchroom by myself, kind of feeling as though I could resonate and relate to the people who were around me because I, I experienced homelessness for a while too. And it mm -hmm. felt like the environment that I wanted to write in is strange as that kind of seems. And I also mm -hmm. had a super supportive uh, coworker, uh, Kate, actually, she's in uh, two episodes with me in this podcast too. And I think my last paragraph was actually written with her guidance because I asked her, I was like, Kate, what is my message 
Like, what is it that I'm trying to say? What is it about me that's actually going to help other people? And she said, I think it's that no matter what your identity is or no matter what you've gone through, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. That's what I get from you. And I was like, oh, thank you. That is exactly what I want to say. And so my chapter was written kind of while I was connected to other people who I felt were going through the same kind of thing that I did. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a really really kind of unique experience I think that I had in that I didn't feel as though I was writing my chapter alone I was surrounded by people that I I really cared about because I did Mm -hmm. really care about those youth that I was working with I did really empathize with what they were going through and I wrote about what I had gone through while I was you know kind of with them that is absolutely amazing I would wait till everybody went to bed and because I needed kind of space and I needed to be quiet because I cried while I was writing, but I think it, it brought me back and, and it was hard going back through memories, even of my kids. I traveled with my kids. I had to bring them to Toronto from Calgary. So it was hard. I'd write and then you'd edit and then you'd write and then you'd edit. And even editing was really hard because you'd put things through and then you'd have to take them out and you'd be like, what is she like? Why am I taking this out? Like the editing part was really hard because you put so much into things, then you'd have to take them out. And you get it at the end, because when you see it come together, it's, it's complete. But what I completely rewrote my chapter and I read it from a point of view of how people actually talk to me. I was driving one day and my son was upset because my phone just wouldn't stop buzzing. And I thought, this is it. This is my chapter. This is how it's going to start because honestly, this is how every day kind of starts with me. My cell phone buzzes and it was uh, a friend reaching out to me that was diagnosed with cancer. And then um, we, we were going to buy a car for him. And he's like, mom, I actually need your attention today. And I thought, this is kind of how my life always is. But I actually, I love it. And my family might not love it every single day, but I love helping people. And I explained to him after that, you know, my kids are old now, they're 25, 23 and 21. And they, they know how much joy I get out of helping people, but they can be vocal enough with me too, that they can tell me you need to put your phone down too, though. I need you to. Um, and so I said to my son, I'm going to start the chapter like this. And he was so excited for me. He said, yes, mom, this is you. This is what it needs to be. So they were all involved in it too. And my son actually cried when he read the chapter when it was done. It's a really beautiful thing to have that connection with other people while we're going through a really emotional time because it was very, very emotional to write these stories. It's exposing a lot of vulnerabilities. It's putting down some really hard experiences on paper. It's expecting other people to read it. And that's a big thing because it started out almost like journaling to be able to just put your thoughts and feelings down on paper and then to go back and edit it and say, I'm going to prepare this basically journal entry to be a real chapter that other people are going to read. And that's hard. The editing process, I would agree, was harder than the actual writing process. Yeah, especially having to go back and, and reread it and revisit it. I think I would have been much happier if I could have just written it down and then never looked at it again. 
the editing exactly meant that we had to go back and, and read it again. I think the scary part is the people who know you aren't going to read it too, right? I think that's the hardest part. <laughs> the people who you don't know, you know, are you going to help, but putting it out to the world to people who you do know is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely had that thought too when I first put it out there because I actually didn't tell anyone that I was writing this book besides my partner that I was writing it. Well, my partner and and Kate, obviously, because she was helping me rewrite it when I was at work. But other than them, nobody else knew that I was writing this chapter until it came out at the end and we started selling the book. And the first person to say that they wanted to buy one was my mother. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like, thank you for supporting me. I really appreciate that. But also I was like, oh no, my mother's going to read this. And she knows, she knows what happened. But to have her actually read what happened, not just surface level, mom, you know, I did off It was, this is what I actually experienced. It's, uh, it is definitely, definitely a difficult thing to think about that people in my life are going to read the story. Yeah, this is my mom my best friend, my partner, everyone's going to read it. It's a very vulnerable thing. It's definitely more intimidating to think about that than it is to think about strangers reading it. I think the only thing that got me through it is that I know that helping others really makes me feel good. And it's the most rewarding life experience that there is. And if you can make a difference in just one person's life today and say, wow, I did something amazing. That's what most people know that I'm, I'm I'm known for um is the person to reach out to when you've gone through so many life experiences why not pay it forward to somebody else and help somebody else and this is the I think the easiest way to do it for us and that's what gets us through it my mom passed away and and she's one of the main reasons why I wrote I I first started I wanted to write her story and that was the hardest part because they were saying no this is a story about you and I couldn't wrap my head around it because I wanted to write about her I didn't I I band-aid my own pain I'm just like ah it's just another surgery oh it's it's fine it's just this it's just that and I didn't Janet actually made me realize how much I had gone through and I guess when I sat down and I actually wrote about it all, that's when it finally hit me that I had kind of come out a survivor myself because I was so um, caught up in the fact that I wanted to tell her story because she wasn't a survivor. So that, that was, that was the hard part. You, you kind of get lost in what you're advocating for sometimes, and you just want to help as many people as you can. I say my spirit animals, the octopus, <laughs> my, my arms are just reaching out everywhere. And I think maybe that's what empaths are sometimes is um, we just want to help as many people as we can. That's the one thing I love about this book and, and why I wanted to be more in a collaborative book series, because there's so many different chapters. And so it's going to be helping so many different people. Every story is different. And every story is so amazing. I am so excited that it's going to get into so many different hands. It's just going to be amazing. Well, I'm going to end this with the same question that I end all of my podcasts, although I think that it's going to be a really difficult one given just the, the power and the enormity of what's happening in our chapters. But if you had to sum it up in just a couple of sentences, what is the message that you would want people to take away from today? I would really want you to research as much as you can. 
and help anybody that you can who is going through a battle, who has lost a loved one. Uh, find resources if you can, if they need help. If you know anybody who is mistreated or undiagnosed or who has gone through anything, offer them support, offer them help and never leave them alone. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming back and doing another interview with me. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much to Tanya for being so open and vulnerable about her experience. If you're interested in reading Tanya's story, The Great Canadian Woman, She is Strong and Free, Volume 3, is available to purchase now. Visit the link in the description box or follow me on Instagram to get all the details to get your own copy there. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Social podcast. By sharing information and stories, we hope that you will gain new knowledge and empathy for those who are different from you. We all have unique experiences with mental health based on our backgrounds, experiences, and how we're impacted by the society we live in. What unites us is that we are all deserving of mental health support that is appropriate for our circumstances, accessible, and feels good. Tune in next Friday for another episode.